The year was 1983. There was a toy line called G.I. Joe. There was also a comic book by Marvel Comics. But in September of 83, there was The Adventures of G.I. Joe, a five-part miniseries animated by Sunbow Productions about everybody's favorite counter-terrorist team and their immortal enemy, Cobra. This podcast is not about that miniseries. Nor is this podcast about its sequel, which aired in 84, entitled The Revenge of Cobra. But this podcast is about a miniseries that aired 30 years ago today, entitled The Pyramid of Darkness. That happened today? That happened today, 30 Excellent. years ago. My name is Steven, and I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed friends. Robert! Gravity, Paul! And, uh, Special Missions Cujo. I'm here to spar with some of the sharpest minds in the G.I. Joe genre. Three Saffirs and a Yank, and collectively we call ourselves G.I. Joeberg. Which is quite auspicious, because only one of us actually comes from Johannesburg, South Africa. But anyway... It's also better sounding than Safank. <laughs> let that sink in. <laughs> I like it. All those big words, I liked them. So without further ado, we're going to discuss the first part of the Pyramid of Darkness. And offer very candid, very uh, very honest opinions on what we thought of G.I. Joe's third outing. Do you guys have preferences on which studio uh, you prefer more dick or sunbow well, i'm sorry who, who here prefers dick <laughs> well in my personal <laughs> life i prefer dick but is it no is it when it to cartoons well dick or dick i mean it's, it's up to you how you want to you want to handle it, it, it kind of feels like potato potato but which 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 do you guys prefer uh without a doubt sunbow for myself like well, dick that, doesn't even well, feature or <laughs> Well, I haven't watched all of it yet, so I can't really say. But so far... Who had the longer run? Was it Dick or Sunbow? Uh, uh, Sunbow. Sunbow. Okay. So the Dick was short. <laughs> dick was short. But but Dick was the movie, right? No, Sunbow was the movie. Dick was the 90s. Uh, gotta get tough, Yojo. Whoever did the movie did this this cartoon, yeah? Yes. Uh, Sunbow correct, Productions. Yeah. Okay, that's I, I'm solid now. Outstanding. So, 30 years ago, I was less than one years old. Uh, Rob was about two. Paul was two. And none of us were living in the States. So, <laughs> since we have you in our midst, Kujo, uh, did you watch this miniseries when it initially aired back in 85? I think the longevity of my G.I. Joe fandom is in large part because I never watched the cartoon. And, I, and I'll, you know, introduce my ideas as we go along. Well, I think that puts a very fine point on exactly what regard you hold this miniseries. <laughs> indeed, indeed, brother. All right, so without further ado, episode one of The Pyramid of Darkness, which aired on September 15th, 1985, was written by a fellow called Ron Friedman, who also wrote the other two preceding miniseries, and was entitled The Further Adventures of G.I. Joe. Now... As is custom with these sorts of podcasts, I am going to read Wikipedia's uh, summary of the episode for two reasons. One, I'm too lazy to create my own summary. And two, it's hilarious when they get it wrong. So thank you, Wikipedia contributors. We're about to tear you a new one. Zartan and the Dreadnoughts capture Space Station Delta and destroy G.I. Joe headquarters as phase one of Cobra's Pyramid of Darkness, a plan for Cobra Commander to deprive the world of electricity. Hmm, Wikipedia, you played it very safe there, I must say. We'll see if uh, their other episode summaries stray from the plot more substantially. But I'd say they did it all right. I mean, they, they didn't offer too much detail, but uh, well, they certainly had you, the broad strokes. You want to watch the episode now. You're like, what? How did they get to the PlayStation? Hmm. Will it be as crazy as I think it is? No, it won't be, because you will have not come up with fatal fluffies. <laughs> so. No, that's a fucking spoiler, man. <laughs> Cobra 
has a nefarious plot to take over the space station. We don't know that the Dreadnoughts are in there. So when we find Man, out, like, oh my god, the Dreadnoughts are on the space station. Alright, so we've all seen the episode. We're presuming, yes. if you're listening to this podcast, you have as well, because yeah. we're not really going to give too many details on the exact, well, the events that happened well, exactly. in the episode. Exactly, it's kind of like, like director's commentary on movies. You don't watch that and then watch the movie without it. I mean, like, they talk about, like, hectic spoilers and shit in those things. <laughs> we open with what is soon to become the standard introduction for the first season of the Sunbow cartoon, because after this miniseries, G.I. Joe went into half-hour, uh, I think, weekly TV uh, cartoon. Yeah, Saturday morning. Yeah, like oh. He-Man and Thundercats. Are, are you talking about the intro right now? Yes. Yeah, the intro. Uh, yeah, that that thing had some uh, things going on in it. <laughs> well, I gotta personally say I prefer the older intros. I mean, they felt more realistic. Like this one, there's like this gigantic, weird cobra flying fortress Saucer. thing. Yes, it's yes, fucking amazing. Saucer. Is, is there any part of that intro that made you wince? Like, physical pain, you're like, oh, that hurt. Well, my, my favorite bit is when they're, like, uh, uh, tossing Destro around, like like a, like a beach ball. That's what I'm saying. Sky, and then, like, they're like, you catch him. Awesome. I'll well, who is that? You. Is that Leatherneck that basically dead squats him right on the spot? <laughs> His <laughs> name's Footloose. Um, oh, but, but, I mean, it, it could be anyone at that point. It's like... Dude, when, the, when he did that, my back hurt for, like, <laughs> a half hour. <laughs> Okay, that's all I have to say about the intro. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's remarkable that this thing, uh, the size of a Star Destroyer, is right on top of G.I. Joe's doorstep. But it's got some, some laudable elements and also some laughable ones. For instance, Airtight uh, puts a teeny tiny little explosive on the top of this thing, and it brings it down into a flaming hulk. Um, Duke is totally a non-starter because Flint seems to be giving all the orders, Pointing his finger and saying, Yo, Joe! Uh, and not only is Flint the man, but he and a, another handful of Joes seem to be like flame proof because they emerge from the inferno of this crashed Cobra airship and run into camera. That sort of Ooh, second to last shot. <laughs> Paul, you got my back, but that's a pretty badass visual, though. People running out of the flames. <laughs> It's outstanding. That's good stuff. Turner, that works in any around, decade. They just walk away. What <laughs> <laughs> just shows you, you know, the American way and the American dream can't be destroyed even by fire. You can literally yeah. light things on fire, and if you say yo, Joe, it's pretty good. You're okay. Flint is the second right. coming of Christ. You know, Jesus could walk on water. Flint can march through flame. That right. Amazing. I think we're losing sight of the pyramid, brother. Indeed, we have. <laughs> So after this outrageous intro sequence, we open with a reveal of G.I. Joe's subterranean shuttle launch base mm-hmm. and a gigantic shuttlecraft emerging on this lift and then placed onto a gantry, mobile gantry, that moves across the desert floor to some sort of launch base. Uh, bear in mind that this is before the Defiant launch complex and to my mind, might in fact be one of the chief uh, inspirations for that particular playset. What yeah, do you feel have to say about so. that? Definitely. Well, I totally agree, because Jojo goes to space on more than one occasion, and in even more outrageous ways in later episodes. You know, you need something like the Defiant, you know? But of course, we are a whole minute and a half into the episode, and Cobra emerge with a sneak attack. A very well-planted and planned sneak attack. They have his tanks buried in the sand uh, that emerge <laughs> on command to try and ensnare the shuttlecraft, which has actually launched. Yes, within <laughs> seconds of, of reaching the launch pad. Yeah. Who needs a countdown? NASA's a bunch of pussies with their <laughs> hour-long T-minus 60 minutes. Ugh. Checklists are for amateurs. Totally. G.I. Joe's, <laughs> they hit the launch, and off they go. And listen, you can see that the crew's expendable. I mean, Dusty's in there, right? <laughs> yeah, no, okay, friend, but you... I mean, putting Dusty in a space shuttle. 
Should we talk about like the total disregard for any sort of specialty or classification in this cartoon? <laughs> no, good man. He's a refrigerator. Okay, I don't know. I don't want to jump the shark or anything, but I, I I do want to interject though. Is that whole first five minute sequence not just uh, a child friendly commentary on safe intercourse? It could be. Because uh, wow, do the copers throw a net over an erection that's headed into parts of <laughs> <laughs> I think I get just it. Yeah, I see it now. <laughs> but they I'm can't sorry. control it. They can't keep it under control. It eventually It's commentary, escapes. brother. Yeah, it's. I think we can all read into that. Well, I'm not sure how it escapes because it expended so much fuel in staying at the same level while trapped underneath this net. It's I a don't GI understand. And, and you get to see the agility of the trouble or the uh, what are those pods called? The trouble bubbles. Trouble bubbles. Correct. Those things are incredibly agile, like flying up to uh, fuel canisters and stuff, and, and putting those little magnets on the side that redirected it. Yes. Mm. Tomax uh -huh. and Zamot, they uh -huh. have their introduction in this episode. Oh, damn it. They're finishing each other's sentences. Like, depending on how they recorded it, it sounds very forced. Like, they're both waiting for the other one to finish, you know, to like, yes, I will say something, and I will... Finish it. Well, since it's the same voice artist, it's, I'm sure, a very strange experience having to mirror yourself in the same booth, in the same session. I mean... Well, then that's down to what the, the sound editors then, actually not syncing it up fast enough. Mm, I, don't I don't know. It's a weird, weird thing. And to be honest, it's never really worked, that whole finishing of each other's sentences, because it's not seamless. Like, it's animated that they have a little bit of a break between... <laughs> it's one of those uh, eccentricities uh, of the cartoon that I really, really like. Uh, I like the twins. Uh, uh, I, I went, even when they explain very clearly to their arch nemesis <laughs> of G.I. Joe. Yeah. You know, as, Alpine, to listen. as Alpine socks whichever twin he happened to lay hands on, he's explaining... My twin, I feel his pain. Oh, that's handy to know, Cobra guy. <laughs> I now understand why you guys revile Alpine. I, I will enjoy that uh, cod right now. Oh, because he's yeah. Just, he's all kinds of annoying. But, yeah, I don't want to derail us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, the opening erection sequence. Please continue. Well, something, Rob, uh, maybe you want to jump in on. Exactly how much preparation went into this, this it's surprise not, it's, attack? It's, it's it's extreme, because like okay, so, so Cobra comes out of the ground. You know, they just kind of buried the the hisses in there. But Joe was ready for this. They have constructed these like underground things that look kind of pop out using technology and stuff. It's like everyone knew that there was a double cross going on. <laughs> not only did Cobra plan their their ambush by digging subterranean tunnels. But G.I. Joe planned the ambush's counterattack. And no one noticed that by the digging other one was doing ones. this. They were like, yeah, shit, yeah. do our thing. It makes sense if you're going to launch a shuttle that you have some kind of countermeasure installed. I mean, when, when they started that sequence, you know, they've got support for that, that shuttle. You know what I mean? It's not like it's going out there just by its lonesome. So, I mean, from the Joe's side, it makes sense. But I do agree that it makes no sense that the Joe's didn't see... With all of this pre preparation in place already, that must have been there way before they decided to launch the spaceship. Surely they would have picked up, oh, wow, there's some seismic activity going on around here. You know, you can't just bury exactly. something. You have to blow you know, holes. They would have noticed, because yeah, so. the Joe stuff must have come there before the Cobra stuff. So they let them put the shit there. You know something's wrong with an episode if I'm defending G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe's <laughs> actions. Uh, but yeah, no, this this entire the starting sequence is just a bunch. It's it's crazy. I'm actually okay with the triple cross. I mean, the right we'll get to the writing at some point, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Cobra Commander he had the two seated hiss. I'm I'm not familiar with that version, are you? Yeah, with like dorsal guns and rear facing guns. Yeah, that that that's his that's his pump ride. Of course, it didn't stand up to the razor-tipped edge yeah. of Flint's Sky Striker wing. That was some straight Mad Max stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. What a guy. 
Uh, I wonder and- how many kids did that in the play field. Oh, Rokai Sky Strikers like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, that doesn't work, Billy. Yes, it does. It's sort of in the cartoon. It really happens. There's a generation of fighter pilots that are just way too ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, what happens? Does Cobra manage to secure the space shuttle? Or does Joe succeed in launching? Yes. <laughs> well, the answer is Cobra fails. And Cobra mm-hmm. Command is so pissed off that he fails that he smashes his binoculars on the deck. Uh, he's putting on a very convincing performance because, in actual fact, he kind of wanted the shuttle to get away. But for whatever reason, he's, you know, taking it out on his binoculars anyway because he's just like, you know, super method like that. He has to be convincing, you know, that, that he's a coward and he's running away now like he always does. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, he's, this even goes backwards. Oh. really fast. It's got a high gear for backwards, too. I mean, that thing was moving. <laughs> well, what has a higher gear? Green shirts running alongside the G.I. Joe vehicles as they chase down the, the Cobras. <laughs> oh, yeah, they all want to be G.I. Joe. Like, what, 60 miles an hour or more? Yep. <laughs> I, have a, I have a hunch that I, I think that most of Cobra Commander's theatrics are just to keep his troops on edge. He just does all that stuff just so people are constantly in awe, kind of like, you know. Well, you know what else uh, inspires some awe? He's cornered with his back up against the uh, river, the unfathomable Marianas Trench of a river. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's got the the, the twins by his side. Flint, inexplicably back from his Sky Striker trip, (laughs) and a bunch of other Joes have them cornered and have guns drawn on them. So Cobra Commander pulls out his pistol and is waving it around like, uh, you're not going to take me alive. Um, That is some pretty ballsy stuff, I must say. To be looking down the barrel of a gun and then pull out your pistol. (laughs) Bang. Yeah, it's either really ballsy or stupid. Make that terrorist go away. But of course, Zamot, Tomax, and the Cobra Commander are rescued (laughs) by strange creatures that emerge out of the enormous river. The water robots, which are gigantic sacks of water with a few uh, mechanical components making up their sort of center mass. But mainly they're just bags of water. Yeah, that's literally what they are. Bags of water that have sort of musculature and are able to like operate like a human, gigantic humanoid giant thing. And they, they grab hold of the commander and Tomax and Zaymar and off they go, quickly slap on some aqua lungs. And, and they ride on the outside of these things. <laughs> on the shoulders, no less. But it wouldn't make any difference. I mean, if you were on the inside, you'd be in the water anyway. <laughs> so they they head to Cobra's undersea or under river base. Yeah, which is right next to the launch pad base of the Joes. <laughs> well, I gotta ask an artist question. Did you were you bothered by the aesthetic of those robots or like? I, I kind of liked the design. What, what were you thinking? It's, it's actually funny. My knee-jerk reaction to them is that I don't like them. Although I don't think they're poorly designed. I just think they're ugly. Something about the design uh, seems like it's kind of borrowed from He-Man. I can't put my finger on, on it exactly, but it feels like something that's definitely... Don't they have little panties? Yeah, they got little, like, robo-speedos. Yeah, yeah. dude, that's yeah. it. They're gigantic blue creatures that are, like, muscled up uh, with panties on. Their heads look a little similar to the snake armor, don't they? A little, I suppose, but... I would have yeah, they liked do, the with snake... that kind of panel on the front, where the eyes are supposed to be. Though it has a straight-ish kind of visor instead of the snake armor, which has, like, more of a teardrop black. Yeah, but it's still, like, one piece, isn't it? Mm. I, I, I kind you... of was okay with the robots. I mean, it's kind of cool that you ride on their shoulders. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of looks boss, but, I mean... Uh, the, yeah, the the suction thing where they started sucking in the uh, whale, like yeah, that, the that, shocks. that, that yeah. right. yeah. it, it felt like an ill-conceived weapon. You well, like, suck them inside. Yeah, you know, it's sense. a tractor beam. It's essentially a tractor beam, right? Conceptually, I like that, and you know why? Because it is a a cartoon realization of the fate that I'm sure a lot of GI Joe toys had in the pool filter uh-huh. in oh. swimming pools across the world. Yeah. So the water robots are like 
that's like this fear come to life. It's commentary of like it's it's kind of meta. It kind how of many makes... sidearms did you lose down the drain? Exactly. How many Joes wound up in the pool filter? Or uh, in South Africa, we have a device called a creepy crawly. Any familiarity? The of creepy. The, that? the creepy uh, eats toys. Okay, I'm with you. It's yeah, basically it's a, a, a device. Machine, I'm assuming, and not some sort of uh, reptile or something. It, uh, it, it tugs like along the bottom hugger. of the, the pool, sucking up okay. leaves and dirt and other... Oh, we, we have those stateside. I mean, for those uh, people that are fortunate enough to have pools. Yeah. What do they call the barracuda? Oh, uh, sure. Why not? But what are the water robots swallowing? Well, a bevy of sharks, of course, led by a roadblock. Those were called whales. Um, <laughs> shut <laughs> up. Whales are the ones that go on top of the okay. water. I, I, I'm corrected. Thank you. Thank you, Joburg. Shark, the submersible high-speed attack and recon craft, yes. as opposed to the whale, warrior, hovering, assault, landing, envoy. Yes. That's it. I got it. Got it. Ten Yay. points, Gryffindor. It's a reference so, that Stephen doesn't even understand. <laughs> So the sharks uh, pursue Cobra Commander and the twins and these water robots into this very, very deep body of water. Yes. Uh, and Wait. underwater chasm. And do battle with the water robots um, underneath the waves. Yes, which which hit them with old submarines and... Uh, oh, that was nice. And oil tankers. Just fucking swinging those things around. Wasn't it Del Toro that did that big mecha movie where they were picking up... Uh, yeah, Pacific Rim. Rim. Yeah, dude, I bet he was watching the Pyramid of Darkness when he thought that out. No, I was thinking of when he thought that out, because there's a scene exactly in Evangelion that has one of the units using um, a a battleship as a weapon. What what I do want to say here is um, this is one of the low points for me in the episode, ironically. (gasps) What? I I really, um, I love underwater battles. I love underwaterness. Uh, I think it's cool. I just really hate the physics. Like I understand it's a cartoon and and it should have its own sort of you know, realm of believability. But I feel in in the previous miniseries, water was handled a lot better. The sort of physics behind water was handled better. The 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 fact that these underwater creatures could do as much damage and and were tossing sharks away the way they were. It just, it's very improbable. E- even my, my child brain would have gone, that's lame. It's something I, I can't quite marry. With well, listen brain. to me. I'm, I mean, I'm such a toy guy that, like, for me, this is a high point of the episode because it showcased the shark, which I, I feel is an awesome toy. And I guess I overlooked all those concerns that you had, Paul, by like seeing the shark in action and also the shark doing things that the toy wasn't even capable of it kind of gave you a more imaginative outlook on the shark i mean there are three notable no four notable differences that the animated shark had over the toy version and i'll list them very quickly the guns seem to fire out of the places that the guns aren't on the toys Mm. Uh, i guess they didn't want to animate those little flaps but it made me think hey hang on Maybe the shark has additional lasers, and that would explain what those nacelles are, or no, those recesses are, uh, the sort of kinks in the sides of the the shark main body. Mm. Those could be weapons in there. Uh, The animated shark also has two exhaust nozzles, which give it underwater propulsion. I mean, it's arguable that the jet propulsion comes from the nacelles in the wings, and the underwater propulsion comes from the central body, but the toy doesn't have anything on the central body to suggest that it's just got like a, a ridged texture. You say back. you love this vehicle, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. And I love its cartoon. Even the Cobra repaint recently dropped? <laughs> uh, I own a Wave Crusher. You know, and you know the... that there's some ears listening. Watch yourself. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to set me up with a, a new Wave Crusher and Sub Viper... By all means, be my guest. If anybody wants to set me up with a shark, by all means. 25th anniversary is preferable. Shut up, uh, That's all your favorite vehicle, all of me, a sudden. Me first. I, I, I spotted No, it's first. not my favorite vehicle, all of a sudden. I just need a shark, and I really do like them. <laughs> Surprisingly. 
I, I do have new appreciation for the shark after this cartoon. I, I will say that. Because it's the first time you do see it in action, like Steven said. Mm. Or at and least trying to be glorious. agile or something. I mean, it's it's used to dogfight the Rattlers in their assaults on the shuttle. It's used in the intro sequence to sort of fly almost like a Death Star trench. And be well, it's the only vehicle you need in that in that universe, really. Yeah, man. It flies. It dives. It hides in rocks. <laughs> it can play host to a ninja and his wolf, <laughs> and yes. a sailor and his parrot. Yeah, and hide under the sand. Oh, I, I and... feel a plot furthering. Keep going, brother. Yeah. yeah, it hides under the sand, and it and it shows off a feature that the toy doesn't have, which is a periscope. A very useful oh, nice. feature for a submersible, so yeah. we can just pretend that our shots. And that can moment do that. was very RTD2, like from uh, Empire Strikes Back, like as he's trying to, you know, in the water. So all this Negab- time, everybody was saying best vehicle ever, Tomahawk. I think we just solved the mystery, brother. They meant shock. That's a debate for a SoundCloud coming soon. Oh, nice plug. The sharks in the animation also feature conventional cockpits, and I think we can all mourn the fact that the toy shark has its occupant lying belly down. I mean, what a beautiful canopy. All wasted because the guy's looking at the pattern on the floor. Hmm. Well, in between all this, the shark shark attacks, there's a very cool um, plane chase. Like a trench <laughs> chase. run. <laughs> <laughs> With Destro and Flint and, and, and Lady J. Featuring Flint back in the cockpit of his guys. Very quickly. He, he holds up Cobra Commander. After destroying Cobra Commander's first hiss while he is in the Sky Striker. And then he gets back into it to chase off the Destro, who's in the Rattler. And the animation in the sequence is very cool, I find. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're flying yeah. through. And they get that nice sense of, like, speed as the buildings go by. Especially when Destro kind of goes on his wing. And he's like... And you all you don't see Destro's flying prowess that much. No, you don't. You but don't. it definitely it comes to the one... fore in this episode, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I also I like little touches on on that sequence where you know the windows break out and the you see the guys in the office and they're kind of looking out and they see the jets fly past and the paper gets like spoiled out the window. That actually the part where the uh, you get the whirlwind with the papers that was a nice scene, dude. Mm. I can see it now. It was awesome. And of course, like. Yeah, so all, all of this is happening, and then finally Destro escapes from um, Flint and Lady J by um, that kind of flying into a building, which is a, a front for Cobra. And Extensive Enterprises. Yes, in uh, Enterprise City, which is the mm-hmm. name of the city which is near both of these bases. And finally Cobra Commander decides to reveal his plan. You know, why, why did he attack them? Was this actually a failure? And he's like, play the videotape. <laughs> well, can I can I uh, rewind just a second? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of gloating going on in this first episode by various <laughs> characters. I really the the only one that I really liked was when uh, the sharks get uh, blown out of the water by the uh, turbo fist or or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But uh, Cobra Commander does kind of get a couple of uh, nice punches in there early. Or he he has a nice laugh anyway. Maybe his maybe his feet are up on the console. I'm not sure, but it was a, it was a good scene. Yeah, no, it, it was very super robot. Yes, <laughs> the water robots suck in the sharks through their visors, and then like recycle them through their bodies and spit them out their fists. Yeah, it's kind of ejaculate out their hand. <laughs> the shots crash into a ball of flame on the shore while Roadblock and two completely unseen Joes parachute to safety. It's charming. I think I punch. It's, it's brilliant. And then as Cobra Commander plays this tape, we get to see that he's, he snuck something on board. Onto the shuttle using the uh, the Rattler's tractor beams. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the telekinetic beams that uh, can the pull ye- things yellow apart. Yellow glowing light that pries <laughs> the the shuttle cargo bay doors open, so that it can uh, extend a piece of cargo. And just pop what it in there. Pop it in there and close it back up. 
the Invisible Cobra hands, that's just the first event of many that nobody in the episode seems to comment on. It's just like supernatural. But anyway. It's weird. Uh, yeah, and which brings me to one of the things I actually really like in the episode. Um, ah. I like how the whole scheme uh, goes down. I really enjoy that Cobra is actually, well, Cobra, Cobra has staged this mock battle um, to keep the Joes confused while they sneak their nefarious cargo on board the the space shuttle. Yeah, and like finally something probable. I mean, with the net and everything that goes down, but it's just, it's kind of cool. It's kind of sneaky. It's a lot more subtle, at least at this point in the miniseries. Uh, it's something that's handled with a bit more panache than other things <laughs> that we'll see later on in the TV series and also some uh, uh, compared to uh, things we've seen in the earlier miniseries. It's grand, but it's not as, the, uh, what's the word, theatrical as as things that we've seen in previous episodes. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to interject there. I would like to have seen a little bit of a that scene extended where they're like, well, uh, a televiper walks up and he goes, uh, that fake battle Cobra Commander cost 37 lives and four vehicles. And all of a sudden, like, everybody's just kind of awkwardly looking in different directions, and the scene ends on an awkward... my Cobra card. (laughs) Of course, (laughs) it would never have cost 37 lives at all. It'd be more like, it cost us 37 white parachutes. There you go. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, the Cobra Commander, we're way over parachute budgets this month. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Stop crashing your damn planes, Vipers. So, uh, Zartan's called Sergeant Popper... (laughs) <laughs> What's that all about? Papa. I mean... <laughs> He's a Joe. Sergeant Popper. Yes. I mean, did they have poppers back in 85? I'm sure they did. They they That's probably when they invented poppers. They got the idea from G.I. Joe. Uh, that Sergeant Popper line, I don't think that Zartan is disguised as a guy called Sergeant Popper. I think that is a reference to... Something that it's it feels like a pop culture reference that maybe we just don't get because we weren't kids or around uh, in America in the eighties. But I'm sure there's something called Sergeant Popper or something like that for that reference to be made. Um, who's who's making the reference? I think it's Ripper. Ripper. Sergeant. Right, well, let me Popper. let me do a little detective work here. Ripper. Uh, the, Beatles, the Beatles are from England, right? Yeah. Ripper. So that's Sergeant Pepper. Hey. Maybe that's an illusion. It could be Ta-da. that. That's my knee-jerk reaction, but I would still like to check it up further. So maybe we'll, by, by the second episode, we'll, we'll have an answer. When, when we record <laughs> again tomorrow night. <laughs> and, Paul, when I watched this with you, we both had a chuckle. The fact that on Space Station Delta, when they discover the additional cargo load inside the shuttle, uh, Mutt picks up a <laughs> a card written by the Cobra Commander, oh, um, God. which which uh, discusses, uh, we, we hope you enjoy our deadly surprise, uh, uh, as, you know, in reference to the fatal fluffies. But the... I think you should have just given that term a little bit more air. No, I'm sure. Go ahead. Fatal Sorry. fluffies. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But they seem to, on your DVD copy, is that by uh, Shout Media? Yes, well, Shout Factory, yeah. Shout Factory, sorry. They seem to have remastered it and actually changed the text, and it doesn't match up to the voiceover. When Mutt is uh, reading out the card, it says something different to what he's saying. It just sounds yeah. like a dumbass. So if any of you folks out there have the Shout uh, Factory box it check it out man <laughs> and it's at it that point case... when when mutt is actually saying oh junkyard don't make mistakes well mutt does <laughs> his owner does why was nobody really shocked by the fluffies in their innocent form yeah man it's like, like people were very casual around them like they've seen these things yeah and like scarlet's like oh how adorable they're so cute which is a complete Sexist. 180 from the fact that she was like Seal it off. Let's go down there, like with our. Yeah, she's in all hand. fucking Ellen Ripley, you know. <laughs> and then, 
until she sees a freaking mogwai knock off, and then she's all like, <laughs> she, she gets all like My Little Pony on the thing. Oh, dude, can we keep it, please? Oh, Lord. They're not suspicious at all. I have to ask this question right now. Do you feel like that at, when they introduce the Fatal Fluffies and they're called Fatal Fluffies, and you're just kind of sitting there with that word on your brain, like, do you think that they were trying to get away from what appeared to be warfare at that point and get more into sci-fi? Is I mean, they did that with the G.I. Joe movie. It went more sci-fi. Is this just another step of, like... Uh, they're just it's, so inexplicable. I think the, the, the MacGuffin value with the Fatal Fluffies was the fact that they went from a very compact size to being very aggressive, very militarized, very dangerous. So yeah. they they worked a bit better in that regard than like if Cobra had smuggled uh, robotic troops. But I think there's another explanation for the Fatal Fluffies, and this is something that I was also discussing with you, Paul, the yeah. fact that the Dreadnoughts were initially envisioned to be like Ewoks, but yeah. Hasbro had sent a directive to design characters because it was, you know, the Ewoks were popular post-1983, post-Return of the Jedi. So Cobra was going to have a subset of troops that were fluffy, teddy bear-like creatures. And I think this was the animation studio's way of picking up that idea and running with it because Larry Harmer squarely turned it down. Yeah. He didn't want soldiers killing teddy bears. He thought that would be ridiculous. Gremlins, the, the movie, Gremlins came out in 1984 uh, with a slew of other really amazing films, Last Starfighter, etc., etc. The thing with Fatal Fluffies is I think they're also capitalizing on the Gremlins uh, hype. You know, Gremlins was a box office success, and it definitely hit the, the, the mass market in, in quite a big way. Uh, you know, Mogwai dolls, uh, Gizmo dolls, and the Gremlins were doing quite well commercially. And I think G.I. Joe uh, capitalized on that a little this time around. I wouldn't be surprised if Hasbro actually did the toys for the, for Gremlins, for the Gremlins films. What, what came but, first, Gremlins or Troll Dolls? Do you know? Gremlins. Okay, okay. Yeah. And we've sense. never got an official Fatal Fluffies toys, but... Where are you at, Collector's Club? <laughs> at FakeEyes22 on Twitter made some very, very cool customs. And you can check them out on our Twitter feed at G.I. Joe Bird. Nicely done. They are awesome. Using what looks to be a Colossus base and a lot of Sculpey, he's created, well, he's created the small, lovable version of the Fluffy and also the aggressive, green-eyed, horned, uh, large-scale version of the Fatal Fluffy. Fire-breathing and... Uh, and So, yeah, so Zartan blows a whistle and that, that's how they transform, unlike gremlins, like when you get them wet and you feed them. Yeah, yeah, no. And when they transform, they grow bigger and also apparently they also grow laser pistols. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Very accessorized. Very sharp, brother. Where did that come from? My second watch the other night. (laughs) You don't want to know where it came from, Rob. You really don't. (laughs) 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 <laughs> there it is. Shed pistols. <laughs> they had three dreadnoughts up in the space station, right? Mm-hmm. Plus Zartan. Is there, <laughs> that at cute. that time in the toy line, could you have thought of three different characters that would have been better suited to be in space on the on the uh, Cobra Force that had personality that weren't regular troopers? Destro. None that seemed <laughs> affiliated to Zartan. And it will become clearer as we get into the rest of this mini-series. But it had to be a mercenary force. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I'm happy with it being the, the Dreadnoughts. But in terms of more qualified, uh, just about anybody. <laughs> Destro, Baroness, <laughs> Major, Blood. Major Blood, Firefly, Scrap Iron, you name it. They're more qualified than the Dreadnoughts. The Joe Force isn't exactly equipped to handle space either. I mean... Dusty still has his, his rag hat, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and well, but they have an amazing space dog. I mean, he oh, obviously yeah. must that have trained for months to get, you know, to get his qualifications to go into space. Junkyard's all up there in Lycra's business, you know? 
Hey, look, at least the Dreadnoughts are competent in riding around on their space ferrets, right? (laughs) (laughs) Until someone switches the gravity on, and then they forget forget how to use the brakes. We're getting ahead of ourselves, We are indeed getting ahead of ourselves, because we are still dealing with the first episode of this miniseries, The Further Adventures of G.I. Joe. And while everything is going on in space, Snake Eyes and Shipwreck have have snuck into that underground base. How Hmm. could we forget which is probably one of my favorite sequences just because of the music in that section. Touche. That, that was borrowed from the film, wasn't it? Uh, actually, the film borrowed it from... Uh, from this, really? Yeah, that, that, that is a mainstay piece of uh, music that goes throughout the entire TV series. In fact, the movie version is slightly jazzed up a little. It's but got... I like this. It is very low-key. No, very, um, very John Cop. No, what's his name? Yeah, John Cop. John Cop. Yeah, yeah. Sort of throbbing <laughs> electro <laughs> bass. Yeah. And it's so unexpected because mm. normally the music is very like loud. Yeah, and it's a bit loud and not nice. It feels more suited for like a synth type uh, score, but you know that's just me. No, I think so as well. Uh, definitely, especially the way that the cartoon goes along, it kind of inspires almost like a sci-fi feel. Cujo's planting seeds, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Um, while we're just on the soundtrack thing, I watch a lot of Gundam, the anime series, and I specifically love the original Gundam 0079 as well as a Zeta Gundam. And the original Gundam soundtrack and the G.I. Joe soundtrack are very similar. They have a very similar kind of vein. Similar mood with the, the music and the progression uh, with the composition and, uh, and all that. I find that the the weakness with the G.I. Joe one is that it tends to loop a bit more, whereas the Gundam stuff tends to have uh, more breath. It, it it lasts longer and it's it's easier to enjoy. Well, you're, you're dealing with 22-minute... Well, okay, I suppose in both cases you're dealing with 22-minute episodes. But like, episodes, yeah. But the pacing of G.I. Joe is so much faster that you go are going from these different places and then the music is used, I suppose, to associate it with those locations. But then... Yeah, I mean, music is always the invisible character, so it, or at least um, the way I perceive music in, in cartoons and video games, it's the invisible character. It helps force the emotion when, for example, badly drawn facial expressions don't, or gravity, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, But yeah, sorry, uh, I really like that point, and, and I got really excited there, Rob. So thank you for mentioning the soundtrack. And You're welcome. Let's get more into Snake Eyes and Shipwreck, Shipwreck's infiltration. Which is also a great moment as well as they're infiltrating because like Shipwreck actually points out why they are the worst choices for this mission. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, we got this, you know, me with my bird and you with the with the wolf and you can't talk. I mean, we're the... Um, yeah, a masked man with a wolf, a timber wolf, <laughs> and a sailor with a parrot. Oh, if you can add to that. He says, a wet sailor. I thought that was quite a good uh, observation because that's going to stand out. Everybody's going to see him wet before they see the parrot. It's just how our human, you know. (laughs) So hopefully the parrot draws people's attention from his wetness. Damn wet sailor. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) Since Rob brought up the score, I'm going to bring up the artwork. It seems obvious to me that... uh... The, the artist's favorite character to draw is Shipwreck, isn't it? I mean, his facial expressions and details, they're on point. Yeah, he's great. Mm. Yeah, Shipwreck is great. He's uh, hes an animated series or cartoon. Protagonist. Yeah. He, well, I mean, I it's it. interesting because, I mean, he's actually one of the only characters that has his own origin story. I mean, yeah. he comes up from the, you know, you know, from the second um, miniseries where you, they find him in that desert bar and he becomes a G.I. Joe. Well, everyone else is basically from the, from the first minute you see them, they are G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. I think he might have just uncovered one of the greatest G.I. Joe secrets. Maybe he's the main character all along. Well, definitely in the cartoons. I mean, mm. they, they very much build him up. You know, he has this, this parrot that's always annoying him and always putting him down. But somehow, you know, he kind of just get, gets above that and he still saves the day. I like it. Or at least helps. <laughs> <laughs> or at least uh, acts obnoxiously on the Cobra monorail in order to divert attention away from him and his masked man and their menagerie. <laughs> he yeah, actually draws attention it. to himself. 
Nobody yeah. likes a subway philosopher. What is it? No one likes oh. a subway philosopher. Nobody nice job. likes a subway philosopher. <laughs> what does he say after? Because that's a beautiful scene right there. He does lay out some truth in that. He <laughs> says something right after that line. We're going to have to rip it and drop it in here. But Yes. And then edit out my voice saying that. But, uh, <laughs> I love his laugh there as well. Well, he... I can't. I, I'm hating myself for forgetting the back end of that scene. But right after he says like "subway philosopher," he says something else, and you're like, "Oh damn! Whoever wrote that just dropped some knowledge." Ah, nice day, huh? Or nice night? Who cares down here, right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, dude, he's a psychologist. He's trying to engage people, so they're like, "Who's this clown?" Like actively <laughs> turning away from him, and he's like, "Okay, this guy's sharp." I love the way the the cobra uh, workers' expressions are 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 animated, because they don't they look like they're sincerely smiling. They don't even look like they're half smiling, but they just turn their backs and like kind of move away yeah. from shipwreck and snake eye. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's <dicks>. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back on space station Delta, uh, Zartan points the weapon at GI Joe HQ. And a bolt from the blue, or the cold vacuum of space, utterly and completely annihilates G.I. Joe HQ. And that is a major, major victory for Cobra. Yeah. Yeah, completely ripping G.I. Joe apart. I mean, that's kind of the end of the miniseries. Like, like... it could have ended right there. Yeah, we win! We've we've got your ultimate weapon, Joe. We'll use it against you. What are you going to do now? Uh... Then I like G.I. Joe, and it's game over. It's finished, but Cobra Commander now explains his entire plan, which goes beyond just killing all of G.I. Joe's. Also, say, destroying all of G.I. Joe. And he lays out his Pyramid of Darkness scheme, where he wants to stop people from using electricity, and the world, I don't know, will pay him to switch the electricity back on. Which is so much better a use of a pinpoint beam of death from the sky. Which he's just proved is effective. I mean, he'd like just proved it. He destroyed all of G.I. Joe. Yeah, but then he decides to go with his original theatrical Pyramid of Darkness scheme when he has space death ray at his command. Yeah, you know? he uses the, the this death ray to basically connect up all of his cubes, which will then create a gigantic... Like, I pyramid. Don't know, like pyramid of dark, yeah. Pyramid well, you know, they say Cobra started out as a pyramid scheme. Oh. <laughs> oh. I, I, have a, I have a gem, guys. Are you ready? Oh, dear. This one's going to get a great response. Okay. Um, no, I, I, apparently great snakes think alike. Apparently Snake Pliskin in Escape from L.A. shut down the earth, too. That's hey. Yeah. Hey. All right. It's actually really good. Good time. Great snake rolls. What is it? Oh, Something yes. Like yeah, Hail Cobra Commander. The Great Snake rules forever. Which oh, is... How come it wasn't reading it early? Did, was he not saying it with enough conviction? Well, no, well okay, Cobra. we're getting ahead of ourselves here once again. But he's not a sorry. bastard. Okay, so once Cobra bad. Commander explains his entire scheme to his, his officers, which he's never told them before because apparently no one needs to know it. <laughs> Snake Eyes and Shipwreck are now approaching the underground, some sort of underground factory or something. And to get inside, they're going to have to get past a really, really annoying sounding robot. Who basically, how you get inside is that you have to say a certain key phrase. And if it matches up with the the computer, you're allowed inside. No, so they come forward and and then they they attempt to say this phrase. uh, Which is, Hail Cobra Commander, the Great Snake rules forever. But they're completely messing it up, and it's, it's not working out. The most you just overreaction ever occurs, where suddenly bars are coming down, and this robot's like, "You may not pass. You will die now. You will be destroyed." <laughs> bars come down. They're trapped. The walls sprout spikes, and they start moving in, and saw blades come out of the floor. Shit, you do not want to work there, man. It's like, what What if you had a cold that morning? I got it so through. <laughs> Sentence has been passed. <laughs> what, a, what about the Cobra contractors when they got the plans for that hallway? They're like, what the hell? Are you guys like, sure you know, want this? Like, it's, are, it's overkill. Are we the bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> Why do we have a room that does this? <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sorry, what eight saw blades out of four? <laughs> and... Wait, I, I still have a little trivia, though, or at least a, a question. Yeah. Does the uh, robot uh, visually look like any figure that drops later? No, but he looks a lot like Rom the Space Knight and okay. other crazy things. I was saying he kind of, he, he kind of felt like he had a, a Vindicator hood on a little bit. Yes. Yeah, I thought so as well, except the eyes are more like buggy, you know, like, like yeah. the fly's eyes. But his the voice of the robot is so annoying. I, I love it. It's, it's so snarky, man. I know, it's but like... it's, it's almost like got this weird reverb, like he's a little <laughs> granddad or something. You would not pass. Who was who was working on uh, Cobra AI at that time? Was it Scrap Metal? <laughs> Wait a minute, Wait, Vin- guys. I'm having a, a a bit of a bit of a blank here. Who's Vindicator? The the Vindicator that that little orange and purple guy. Yeah, Annihilator. Same oh. difference. Uh, you're going to have to dump that he wasn't out. Gonna, he wasn't going to drop anytime soon, I'm afraid. Yeah, but he dropped later, so he might have been inspired by the look of this character. I thought he, this guy looked a lot like something from uh, She-Ra. Yes. Okay. Like, really? Yeah. She-Ra mixed with, um, like, the 8D8 or EV8 or whatever, like the... Not 8D8, that's... that's, that's the, IG88. No, that robot... Nice. Fit mm-hmm. him with a restraining bolt and take him up to His Majesty's main audience chamber. Oh, yes. That robot. Return of the Jedi. Return yeah. of the Jedi. Dismantle on site. <laughs> and basically, this little moment here, and then this little hallway, is the cliffhanger for the episode. Mm-hmm. Because all the episodes have to end on a on a hectic cliffhanger. Will we have skewered snake? Will we have saw bladed shipwreck? Oh, little, tune little in tomorrow. Little hot dogs. Okay, folks, so we've come to the end of our uh, appraisal of this episode. Guys, what was your high point of part one of Pyramid of Darkness? Uh, high point, uh, as mentioned earlier, I really enjoyed uh, Cobra's, how Cobra's scheme comes to fruition with the distraction leading to the insertion of the nefarious cargo, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I also love... Uh, Just get one, guys. Paul. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> Because, but I, I'm just gonna mention this: like ninja and and a sailor dressed up as Cobra officers infiltrating. Okay, cool. That's all I, I said. But that's not even yeah. an officer outfit. Those are like workforce. Workforce, yeah. Those are blue collar. Those are gray collar. They look, interns. They look so <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Why don't we get that figure? You know, and 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 in the same breath. Why don't we get uh, Shipwreck and Snake Eyes in disguise? I mean, that's a great toy idea. That would be that would have been awesome in a box set, you know, instead of whatever else they gave us. That wasn't as awesome. Yeah, like the Dreadnoughts. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Dreadnoughts are awesome. They're great. They're amazing. Kujo, what's your favorite uh, piece of this episode? The, the subway scene where uh, Shipwreck, uh, Scooby-Doo's, the rest of the Cobra officers... <laughs> I like that. Uh, the bad is definitely the the writing was so heavy handed. Like uh, the jet chase scene with Destro. I mean, they literally through dialogue telegraph everything that you already realize, and you're just kind of like, I mean, I know it's for kids. Okay, that's all. <laughs> it's bad though. I mean, the writing is horrific. <laughs> Whoever wrote it, I, if you're alive, I, I understand. It's okay. I know Ron Friedman yeah, is still very much alive. Ron Friedman, he created the GI Joe cartoon series. He uh, wrote. Most of the episodes, especially all of these early Allegedly. miniseries, and he also wrote uh, the Transformers the movie, as well, oh, the animated no. film. Not not Michael Bay, but uh, the animated film. <coughs> so he just Michael can't Bay. help himself. He he. Well, what do you got, well. Rob? Um, my best was probably the yeah that that little sequence when they're infiltrating the place. That music, it's just the music, just that up that lifts it up, and they're not talking too much. And over-explaining, like like you said, especially in that that chase scene, um, and probably my worst moment. He's, he's surrounded by animals and a mute. Exactly. There's no one. To, there's nothing to explain. There's nothing to talk about, which is brilliant. Um, and probably my low point of the episode. Wow. So many to choose from. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the fatal fluffies. That, that, Thank you. For me, Thank that's, you. That's a low point. Somebody had to say. Fatal fluffies. <laughs> <laughs> Love that shit. 
Steven? I love that shit more than Dusty being a fucking spaceship driver. <laughs> My high point for this episode, the concept of Enterprise City. Hmm? Think about this. It is Springfield on steroids. It is a glistening skyscraper-filled city in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's surrounded by desert. It's got a um, a shuttle launch bay <laughs> across the river. But it kind is of feels like Dubai. It is a completely <laughs> cobra-controlled yeah. city. We're going to yeah. see a little bit more of it uh, in later episodes. But already we know that adjacent and leading into this massive waterway is a huge, huge Cobra base, complete with a monorail system, a factory for creating the control cubes for the Pyramid of Darkness, which, as I say, we'll learn more about later. And on the surface, it looks like a glistening metropolis, but it has a police force of Cobra troopers who the general population accept as the law, and some Gestapo-style investigators. Once again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm saying that the this is something that I'm going to keep coming back to, the fact that Enterprise City is fucking cool. It's got buildings that open up to park your Rattler in. And allegedly, G.I. Joe has no fucking idea. It's amazing, actually. Like, they this, built a launch complex just on the outskirts of the city. I mean, you know, it, go Joe Reed. don't know exactly how breaks, pervasive Cobra <laughs> is in society. Like, this is an escalation of what Cobra was in previous episodes, where they were just a kind of marauding terrorist force with, like, a remote castle somewhere in the middle of the desert uh, or in the mountains which they used as a staging area. Here, they've got an American massive city that G.I. Joe just doesn't have an idea about. So, mm. like, it, it's very... This concept is very, very interesting to me. G.I. Joe is too busy hammering out puns as they destroy collateral damage and whatnot. Uh, low points? Jeez. Uh, I guess... I'm going to go with the easy one and say the Fatal Fluffies could have been... Yes. Handled better in any number of ways. It's just it's just pure silliness. And like, you know, it's not suggested by the toy line. It's not suggested by any other G.I. Joe media. It was a cartoon only kind of affair. And it's just it's staggeringly random. Like, and, where? and they use the word slaves like a surprisingly number of times for a kid's cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're bad guys, so it's kind of it's okay for them to do that because they're bad guys. Some, something I just want to mention, uh, and I think it's quite clever in this series, and it's not it's not like a high point. I was just surprised. Shipwreck mentions, you know, how you know they're the worst. Him and Snake Eyes are probably the worst for this mission, and then he mentions something about you know if they ask me to start dancing, I'm out, and I enjoy that little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite refreshing actually in a cartoon. You don't always get it. The shadowing in cartoons almost seems superfluous because they're telling you what's going on all the time. I'm sorry. I don't think mm-hmm. he likes it. <laughs> Rob, who wrote who wrote this again? This is Ron, Ron Friedman. Yeah. Sorry, I, Rob. <laughs> I bet that was some insider stuff. He was probably like, why are they giving me these characters to work with? Oh, no. Ron okay. Friedman was very no, big. He was, he, no, he was huge. Like, he was basically created, essentially, the G.I. Joe cartoon series. At least that's what he's billed as on Wikipedia. Is there any uh, rumor or anything of, like, G.I. Joe creators not enjoying, like, what the toy line was throwing at them? Like, do you have to use these characters now? Was there any stories like that? I think with Ron, if he was specifically dealing with uh, that year's toys and characters, you'll see Duke and Scarlet pushed to the back of the roster in favor of Flint and Lady J and the very third-tier characters like Bazooka and Alpine who just happened to be 1985's assortment. So yeah. they get primary roles, uh, while the characters that we had formed attachments to early on really get shifted off to, you know, being captured again on the space station. Ooh. You know, <laughs> just like non-starters, basically. Which is yeah. a pity. And it's something that Larry Harmer resisted in his concurrent run on the, the, the comic series. 
because he would have his core characters that he would keep revisiting. He would be mandated by Hasbro to work in X vehicle and Y character from that year. But then just as quickly as they had arrived, they were ditched in favor of the next year's stuff. Whereas the Scarlets and Snake Eyes and Hawks and Stalkers would keep recurring, even though their figures were five, six years old and in need of an update. Well, in, in, in that way, then, I mean, the cartoon was more of a bigger advertisement than the, the comics were. I mean, like they, I mean, they took, they were, you know, playing very loosely with, with who these characters actually were, at least according to the comics and the, and the file cards. Like, they're essentially just sort of plugging these characters into these stories. Hey, man, at least they made Barbecue actually put out a fire. That's he was cool. doing that. He yes. was doing that. That was, that was all you got for Barbecue. <laughs> well, that's excellent. Thank God. So not every 1985 character got too much face time. At least in this many. Barbecue really got back time. Does barbecue at GI Joe picnics though? That feels right, doesn't it? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for the wet T-shirt race, <laughs> featuring uh, Scarlet and Lady J. Maybe Cover Girl, you know. And barbecue hose. <sighs> Guys, I think we have nothing left to do with this episode except rate it, which is rather peculiar because we don't have any other episodes to compare it with just yet but off the top of your heads gents what would you give it out of five stars oh five gi joe stars can we use our own rating system but if you get into decimal points kujo i swear i'll slap you no no no. i'm not gonna go there (laughs) i'm i'm gonna throw it right in the middle there with uh three stars gets things rolling quite um ferociously I love the use of sharks. As I've said before, I love the Enterprise City concept. It has action. It's got pace. It's got sneaking. It's got a few gags. It's got some memorable things like Fatal Fluffies and Water Robots. So plenty of MacGuffins being thrown around. It's got one hell of a maniacal laugh from Destro. And he just keeps upping his game episode on episode on episode. If I was to fault it, it doesn't deal with characters that I had much connection with at this point but that's neither here nor there as we said before it is a toy commercial and 85 had some good characters but not my characters if you know what i mean 85 was a bit of a blank spot for me personally i was far more connected to the 86 crowd which i guess lovers of this cartoon would be out of favor with like why would they dig on leatherneck and sci-fi when they were already digging on alpine and bazooka i feel a rant coming on <laughs> well you're gonna have to wait a year for that one because arise serpentor arise is next year's miniseries <laughs> but uh, three stars from the jubber man i'm gonna weigh in at uh three stars myself oh, uh, i safe uh no it's not necessarily a safe thing it's uh, it's more a case of i don't feel that the episode uh hits you uh you know, I, I and it's something I'm going to mention as we go through this miniseries, but I, I'll save that for later. I just feel that this episode doesn't quite hit you. It's uh, I, I've mentioned already. I like Cobra Commander's plot. I like how he handled that whole thing with the adding of the Fatal Fluffies, and I enjoy Shipwreck and Snake Eyes' little mission. And those are the two things that I really enjoy about this episode. In a sea of things that I don't really enjoy in this episode and i'm giving it three because i i think the what i've mentioned already was really enjoyable uh, it was enjoyable enough to give it three stars if the episode was rounded off a little bit better or had a lot more going for it that interested me or excited me i would probably start leaning more towards four i even went with going for maybe two but i thought maybe two is a little too harsh so three it is for me Kujo. i have not really watched gi joe cartoons for several decades so this is a new experience for me again. I'm going to give it 1.5 Fatal Fluffies, if I can go that route. Uh, can, I do des- can I do half points? Is that acceptable? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't know what the metric system is. I, I don't want to... Anyway, <laughs> it had some moments. It had some uh, atmosphere, like Rob alluded to. I thought that the writing was pretty tragic. Uh, I do agree with the pacing. Had some nice set pieces. I do like the water robots. That they should have come out in toy form. Uh, I mean, maybe a little more dynamic. But uh, aside from that, the writing, man, and and just the integration of the sci-fi, and uh, yeah, one point five for me. Hmm. 
Robbie. Well, okay. If 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 Paul thought uh, two was harsh, let's try a one out. <laughs> I hated this episode. <laughs> there is. But the music, Rob. The music. Oh yeah. The, the, that's uh, where oh, that one oh, star is going. Uh, that's where that one star is going. <laughs> that's it. One fatal fluffy whistle. One little five? fatal, one little fatal fluffy whistle to change this from, uh, from, yeah, from one little good thing to nothing good at all. <laughs> it's just okay. There, there are cool things in it, but like just the entire premise of it with these stupid, fucking alien things is just ridiculous. I can't. Oh no, you don't have to apologize for your. I, I can't accept it, and there's just. I can't accept that that stupid rocket was able to get into space after expending all that fuel, just sitting down there on on that on that tiny little thing. And this entire I don't know. Like I think I'm starting out like I did on the other one. Like I just maybe my I'm sure my scores will get better, but this to me this does not feel like a good start. Like I'm not I'm not interested in watching anymore, but I did. <laughs> so let's 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 keep going. Devil's advocate here. <laughs> well, which gives it a total of two point one five stars. Feels right. Damn. <laughs> no, that does feel right. I helped we it can get only go up. to. <laughs> Apologies. Two point two one two five. One two five. What do you divide? Oh, divide by four. Okay. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right, folks. That was episode one. Of the Pyramid of Darkness, entitled The Further Adventures of G.I. Joe. Tune in this time tomorrow to hear the G.I. Joe Book Boys talk about Episode 2, entitled Rendezvous in the City of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Excellent. I A.K.A. Wait. Dusty is. Say it, Paul. Say it. <laughs> uh, no. I can't AKA. wait for us to do say this. say your line, man. <laughs> yeah, I. I'm looking forward to next episode. I'll answer your questions there. Oh. Excellent. <laughs> you're, you're gonna let a podcast go by without you saying your line? Shit's no. gonna get... No, there it is. <laughs> oh, the shit's gonna get real, real. yeah. I hope so. I hope nice. shit's real. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, gravity. <laughs>